Welcome to Logos Live. I'm Robert Martin, Director of the City Bible Forum in Melbourne, and I'm your host for the show. Logos is Greek for word or message, and Logos Live engages the Christian message before a live audience in Melbourne. Now, one of the most popular components of Logos Live is the testimonies, where we hear stories of how God has transformed the lives of our guests. In this episode, I've gathered together six of the most engaging and powerful stories of transformation we've heard on the show. The stories, like our guests, are varied and unexpected, but all the changes are for the better. Our first story is that of Michelle Monroe. Michelle joined us to speak about why there never seems to be enough time in our Time Poor, Soul Rich series. She's an adjunct lecturer at Melbourne School of Theology and gave a very moving account of how God has changed her life. So, Michelle, what convinced you in the first place to become a Christian believer? Do you know, I don't think the question is what convinced me in the first place. I think the question is what has kept me convinced. Mm -hmm. Um, So I grew up in a Christian home always went to church, always had a sense that God was real and that he was my friend and that he was uh, involved in my life. Became a, a firm believer in my teenage years. But I've been through many hardships in my life. My brother died in a car ac- sudden car accident on the way home from his honeymoon, he and his wife, when I was 22 and he was very, very close to me. So that was very devastating and hard to manage. My husband and I tried for seven years to have children. We went through IVF and that was incredibly challenging. And my kidney disease. And um, my husband actually gave me a, a kidney when uh, four and a half years ago as a preemptive transplant to avoid dialysis, but unsuccessfully. That lasted for 18 months and then failed, which is very unusual. So we've had a lot of hard times. Um, I've had a lot of of hardships and challenges and difficult things. And I think a lot of people would look at that and say, well, why do you still believe in God Mm, mm. um, when you've been through all of those things? And for me, the answer is I would not survive if I didn't believe in God. God has kept me. God has held me. God has answered the bigger questions, not in terms of, you know, it's all for a purpose and and there's going to be good in the end, but in terms of God loves me in the midst of those things. God is good to me. God protects me, even though things aren't going the way that I'd like them to go. I still feel the love of God. I still feel the peace of God in my heart. I still feel that he is my guardian and protector. And if he was not there... I honestly don't think I would be alive. Um, I certainly wouldn't be happy. (laughs) Wow. Yes, it's a a very powerful story. Our next story of transformation is Shane Rogerson's. Shane is pastor of St. Matt's Anglican Church in Paran and joined us to speak about the resurrection of Jesus. I must confess I didn't know much about Shane's story and when I heard it, I was quite stunned. So let's hear his story now. Shane, welcome. You're a pastor of a church now, but you've not always been a Christian believer. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? What, what convinced you to be a follower of Jesus? Uh, sure, I'd love to. I, I've been a Christian quite some time now, but uh, I did not grow up in a, a context of family where there was uh, religious belief. 
uh, although that has changed a little bit uh, since I've become a Christian. I think uh, whilst I was in a, a family of indifferent or apathetic um, people when it came to religious belief, uh, in my teens and into my uh, early 20s, I, I kind of had developed as a left-wing Marxist atheist. Right. Um, okay, wow. And uh, How did that manifest itself? Uh, well... <laughs> did you go marching, storming the city? Yes, I wanted to burn the Reichstag and, right. and do all those things. <laughs> uh, no, it was interesting because um, middle-class Sydney is where I grew up, but I came from a... a, a well, I'd say it was a working-class background, so uh, a single mum who... Married a guy with a degree, moved to the leafy suburbs, uh, and we're, we're kind of in that aspirational middle class existence. Good school, uh, safe environment. And this it, is where you became a Marxist. Uh, yeah, well, uh, the Hills District. I, I would never live there, but I have lots of friends and family who live there. It was quite common for people to, you know, do religious education in school. Uh, everyone went along, uh, but I, I always always really struggled with that but I had some some friends who were believing Christians and not not just culturally so they actually were very serious about their faith they wanted to share their faith with me and there was there was a couple of extremely good looking girls in particular uh, who were interested in sharing their faith with me and so I was I was very interested (laughs) so a left-wing Marxist atheist what convinced you uh, well, I was actually, uh, I was more convinced of atheism having engaged with Christians to begin with. Right. So what I did is uh, I, I explored Christianity. I was, I was apathetic and indifferent myself. I explored the Christian faith with my friends. And I, I think I came to understand something of the logic of, of the Christian message. I understood, how, you know, kind of how it fitted together and how it explained the world. But fundamentally, I didn't like the idea of any other person running my life. I did, though, want a coherent worldview, uh, and therefore I had to go and find an alternative explanation. If Christianity wasn't going to be the thing, I thought, well, I'm going to find something uh, alternate to Christianity which sort of answers some of the questions I had in life. And I ended up progressively moving towards the left politically uh, and adopting socialism and, and then kind of more idealised forms of communism. But it was not, not the right time in in world history to be doing that because communists were losing, <laughs> the wall was coming down and I was trying to say, no, hold those bricks up. You know, um, uh, and, but, but what it did, it gave me a compelling worldview in terms of uh, left-wing Marxism. It gave me something to fight for, but at the same time I could sleep with whoever I wanted to sleep with. You felt it was a liberating worldview? Well, it, 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 it both gave you purpose, but it also gave you a sense of freedom at the same time, personally and morally. And so I rejected Christianity, I rejected Christian faith, and over about two and a half years I, I continued to engage with my Christian friends because the thing that I found quite annoying is that there was many ideals within the Christian community and the way they treated each other which I found incredibly compelling. Uh, I just didn't think that Jesus had to be the centre of that. So what changed? Uh, well, uh, in one sense the... The, the wheels fell off for me personally and morally. When there's an, within an atheist worldview, I began to think a lot about what really gives meaning uh, to what we're doing. Not only was the wall collapsing, but my own life was, in a sense, uh, that project of autonomy was not working. 
uh, failed relationship, drug and alcohol issues, uh, a sense of nihilism. You know, what is, what, what's, the, what's the meaning? What's the purpose? If, if, if it all ends in death, life then is essentially chaotic, then why do I bother? And uh, that was crystallised for me with a Christian, a Christian friend's father, uh, a man called Douglas Orr, who was a scientist. And um, I can remember having a conversation with him where, you know, he kind of asked the, the bigger questions of life and really said, Shane, you know, if, what's the point of living if you think it all ends in death? And I said, well, um, you know, there's justice and there's fighting for right and, the, and these things. And he, he sort of just ripped the carpet out on, on me a little bit and, and helped me to see that if, if things all end in death, whether I died yesterday or today or tomorrow, he, he just sort of said, what, what is life really worth? What is life really about if it all ends in death? And he, he graphically illustrated that for me. He said, Shane, what if I, you know, if, if, if it all ends in death, then it doesn't really matter what we do now. And there is no right and wrong. Uh, there's just survival of the fittest or the fastest or the fattest. And uh, he won on all three counts there. And, and he said, what if I was to go and, and grab my twenty two out of the cupboard and shoot you? He said, what would that mean? You couldn't say it was right or wrong, it was evil or abhorrent. It's just I'm bigger and faster than you with the trigger. Uh, and as I began to explore that with him, he, he sort of showed me that my life would rot on the carpet uh, and if they left it there long enough, all the water would evaporate from it and uh, what would be left was a pile of chemicals and minerals, which he suggested he could bag up, uh, take it to the local garden centre and get five bucks for. And so uh, Your life is worth five bucks? Is your life worth five bucks was the question. And in the scale of things, that helped me to be much more honest about uh, the moral framework that I was appealing to and the sense of purpose in life. And that really opened up a deeper question about uh, the Christian worldview, the historical claims of Jesus, Christian hope, resurrection, etc. That sounds like hope was a big factor in you considering the, the Christian message or the, the, the lack of hope in the alternatives. Uh, absolutely. In fact, it was the, 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 the lack of hope in the alternative which in a sense drove me to the edge of a cliff and uh and Douglas all very kindly drove me to the edge of the cliff and said do you want to go there and I said well just hang on let's just take two steps back and think about alternatives at that point but one of the things that was really helpful for me I had problems with the historicity of the resurrection which I knew which was absolutely central to the Christian faith so the Apostle Paul says, if you know, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're your faith is futile. Your faith is futile. It's, it's crazy. And so I knew that that was central. But I, I heard a person say, even if you don't believe in resurrection, you should want it to be true. Uh, because if if everything ends in death, then then everything that you you might think is important, things like uh, justice and care for the poor and they, they really end the same way. They end in death. And so why bother fighting for those things? Uh, if in the end it all ends in death, you know, why not just eat, drink and marry and for tomorrow we die? Uh, but even then I tried that and I still wasn't happy. Uh, and so that, that having come to sort of explore the hopelessness of facing death, I read a little bit of Tolstoy and those kind of things, so I thought I was doing it in a more philosophical way. But fundamentally I just couldn't live that way. Um, and I thought, well, I'm prepared to explore things like the historical basis for Christianity if, and see if there is actually something in this guy Jesus 
rising from death and the hope that that apparently brought. Mm. And in the rest of that Logos Live episode, Shane talked more about the historical basis of Jesus' resurrection and the hope it brings. A really great listen. Our next story belongs to Tracy Lawson. Tracy is Associate Vicar of St. Hilary's Anglican Church in Kew and is the director of the Peter Corney Training Centre. And her story, well, is one of persistence. So let's hear it now. Thank well, welcome, you. Tracy. I'm glad that you could join us here today. Thank you. Now, you've been working in a church for a long time and have been a Christian believer for many years. Can you tell us what convinced you to become a Christian in the first place? Great question. Uh, I, when I was a teenager, a friend at school invited me along to her church, her youth group, and I went there uh, from time to time over a number of years. Um, I also made a friend there who was at my school as well, and she kept following me up like she'd keep inviting me to stuff so if she was I had a bit annoying was she she was a bit annoying <laughs> at times um and uh, so if I hadn't been to church for a while she'd invite me back and I mean this went on for about six years right. she was very persistent um she was very successful I have to say I'm, I'm the godmother of her daughter and uh, we've been solid friends for decades and decades but at the time she was just someone who um cared enough to keep inviting me in to hear the message about Jesus. And on one of those occasions, um, I did go and hear with her a preacher who was preaching from a passage in the Old Testament, Psalm 51. It's a psalm about um, a king who does some terrible things and he's asking God to forgive him. And as the preacher preached from this passage, I think even though I'd been in and out of church for many years, it was a real penny-dropping moment for me to comprehend what sin was, that the king who was praying this prayer that's recorded in the Bible had done something terrible and that God actually has a standard. The king hadn't achieved it. And as I reflected on my own life, I thought, you know, I have to acknowledge that the life I am living is not one that God would be happy with. And then the flip side to that is the forgiveness that's offered in Jesus Christ and this incredible fresh start. And even way back when the king writes this long before Christ came, it's it's claiming a forgiveness that is made available in Jesus. And I think having heard this, I just it struck me, I thought, well, I, I actually understand this and I think it's all true and I've got to make a choice and I realise that if I, even if I make no choice, that's a choice in itself to walk away from, from what I understand. So uh, I went back to my home. I was living in Canberra at the time and prayed a prayer to God that he would forgive me. And uh, then I rang my friend who was living in Sydney and I said, come down next weekend and help me to find a church. Wow. Um, I was about, I was in my early 20s at this stage and I think because I'd become a Christian, come to faith in Jesus as an adult and I hadn't grown up in a Christian family, I grew up in a wonderful family but not a believing family and I was just struck with how little I knew about the God that I'd put my faith in so pretty quickly I got this idea that I could take myself off to Bible college and right. study for a few years and I did that about a year and a half later and here so we all, go. Boots I, and all. That's you right, know, boots <laughs> and all, you that's right. Make a decision. So it wasn't simply that you made the decision to appease your friend. Oh. Oh, finally, I'll just do it to, to get her off my back. No, but I'm grateful for her persistence. And uh, it actually encourages me when I, you know, invite my friends to church and they go, no. And I think in my mind, that's such a big deal. In their mind, they've forgotten it in half an hour, you know. That <laughs> <laughs> so I'll keep being persistent. Right, okay. <laughs> Victor Sue is pastor of Reach Community Church. And his story is fascinating because the seeds were sown a long time before they bore fruit. 
So let's hear what happened. Welcome, Victor. We're glad that you can join us here today. Now, you've been a Christian believer for over 35 years. Do you remember back to those dark ages many years ago when you decided to become a Christian believer? What, what was it that convinced you to follow Jesus? When I was young, my earliest recollection was going to church when I was four or five years old, and it was Christmas. And, of course, I didn't understand any of the message except that I got a Christmas gift. I went back very, very happy. <laughs> And that was my earliest recollection. That church is fun. They give you presents. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, after that, I never went back to church. And I never knew about church. And uh, that was when I was four or five. Right. So uh, then in my teenage years, I started wondering about the meaning of life. And I come from Malaysia. That's that's my origins. And there are a lot of uh, religions. So I've seen a lot of them. So I often ask, you know, when uh, in, in where I go to school, the first day of each, ter- of each year, there'll be a roll call. They'll name, call you, and you've got to say yes. And the next thing is religion. So when it came to me, it says, Victor Sue, religion, none. Then the next Obviously person... Obviously, that, that Christmas present wasn't enough to convince <laughs> you to... Convince you to... Uh, no, it, didn't, look, it didn't, didn't seem to be so. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thankful of that, too. Right, okay, yeah. Otherwise, that would be it. I thought that there would be no more seeking. Yeah. So anyway, so eventually I asked a lot of these people of their faith, you know, what made them become to believe in their God. And I could not get a very, very convincing answer. And until I came to Australia, I was still seeking. And this... And I, I came to know God as my Lord and my Savior, mm-hmm. so, you know, which is Jesus. What was it that particularly convinced you? As I mentioned, I've seen all these religions. You know, the, 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 the background to all of these religions never seemed to be credible to me. Right. And many of these founders of all these religions never claimed to be God. And what was the clincher for me was that history proved that there was a man called Jesus, and he died and he rose again. Yep according to uh, what was written, according to his prophecy and other prophecies. And that was really the deal. And subsequent to that was I went to church for five weeks. I observed Christians, and they seemed to be more credible. They seemed to be happier. So, and it led me back to when I was four or five years old. I said, hey, these people are just as happy. Mm. And I like to have a life like that. And they seem to know where they're going, unlike many other faiths. Mm. Or religions. So credibility was a big issue for Victor. Credibility of the message and of the messengers. Anne Winkle wrote a book for the inescapably busy called Time Poor, Soul Rich. The book is so good, we did a whole Logos Live series based on it. Anne's story of transformation starts with her dad, which in itself is quite a remarkable and unusual testimony. You're a Christian believer, and you grew up in a Christian home on a farm. But the way your father became a Christian believer is intriguing. Can you tell us what happened? I actually grew up with lots of stories from my parents about encounters with God, so I couldn't escape that when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And the story of how my dad became a Christian is fascinating because he grew up in a non-Christian family. Uh, By the time he was in his early 20s, he he was a stockman. He used to 
be a very, he was a shy stockman, so he rode his horse around a big station in the country, and he basically was pretty depressed by the time he was in his early 20s. In fact, this particular day, he was driving in a car and feeling quite suicidal, and felt life wasn't giving him what he was looking for and he was flicking through the radio stations. This is actually a radio story. He got to a radio station that had a preacher on it and he went to flick on, except that the words that came out of the voice of the preacher were, and if you're driving along in a car and you're feeling suicidal. So he paused and listened. (laughs) And interestingly, the preacher went on to talk about Jesus and what it meant that Jesus died on the cross and what it meant to become a Christian. And the, the preacher said the sinner's prayer at the end. He said, if you want to know God, you know, pray this prayer with me. And apparently, the way my dad tells the story, apparently he prayed the sinner's prayer a bit tongue-in-cheek, like he wasn't overly earnest about it. But what happened was remarkable. He got zapped by God and he drove off the road onto the side of the road, absolutely having had an encounter with the living God. And then he was so excited, he had to find a church and and like he started to pursue the idea of getting baptised because he knew that was the next thing he had to do. Um, So he joined a church to get baptised and and then unjoined it because he didn't want to be a member of a church, but he did want to get (laughs) baptised. Right, wow. So yeah, he thoroughly met God unexpectedly by listening to the radio. Wow, that's so if you're listening to this in the radio, <laughs> just stay on the road. Is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> stay listening. Stay That's listening. Stay, stay listening. Okay. So that shaped obviously your childhood. And yes. uh, whilst you would have always claimed to have been a Christian believer yourself, there's one particular instance when you were 16, <laughs> which was particularly formative in your thinking. I so, knew you were going to bring that up. Well, yeah. Well, well, tell us what happened. It's, a, it's an interesting well, story. I, do, I don't really remember not kind of believing that God was out there. And, of course, when you've got very prayerful parents, it's easy to sort of rely on their coat straps, if you know what I mean. But when I was 16, I was getting a bit older, and I decided I needed to talk to God more myself. And I was, I was kind of fancying this particular guy who was a, a skiing instructor. I hope he's not listening. <laughs> And I, he was 19, I was 16, and I knew that all the couples at the beach were going up onto Lover's Lane to sort of do nookie. And as a good Christian girl, I decided I needed to check out with God what this meant. So I actually said a prayer, very, very specific prayer. Dear God, how far can I go? And, I, you know, I really wanted an answer. And bizarrely, into my head came an answer immediately, and I didn't know what it meant. A Bible verse popped into my head, seriously. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I didn't know what that was, so I'm like flicking through my Bible. What is this? What is this? And do you know what? It said, said, you know, by the mercies of God, let your body be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I'm thinking, darn, <laughs> because I was looking for specific instructions. I, I mean, I wasn't going to sleep with the guy. I just wanted to know how far could I go. And clearly God was saying, not very. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's not what I was looking for. And I completely ignored it, went up onto Lover's Lane with the chap. It was very, you know, it was, there's nothing serious to going, much going on, but I knew and that we are, I... We are a G-rated show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 yeah, nothing, right. nothing so terribly not. bad happened. But I knew I had completely ignored the answer that God had given me. And what was really interesting was, you know the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. When Adam and Eve supposedly sinned and um, did the naughty thing by eating the fruit on the tree, they couldn't look God, God in the eye and it says they went and hid. Well, I was doing that. I could not look God in the eye and literally I couldn't talk to God for about two weeks or three weeks. I just could not look God in the eye. I knew I'd disobeyed or, if you like, just ignored his kind of advice until this particular Sunday when my dad was preaching. He was a lay preacher in the church and he was talking about why Jesus died for us. And I was, you know, having grown up in a Christian home, I knew the answers to all the questions. And he said, you know, what did Jesus die to free us from? And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, Jesus died to free us from sin. And I was so not listening to my father's 
preaching. Is that uh, common? Did you not often not listen to what he said? <laughs> no, my dad's not listening either. Right. No, no, no. I used to listen, but, you know, right then I was in this guilt thing. So my dad boomed out this answer. He goes, Jesus died to free us from the guilt of sin. And I had this little mini revelation that, in fact, guilt was the very thing that we were meant to be freed from. So I was kind of relieved to hear that wow, at that's the great. time. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, Anne. That's, that's terrific. Our final story of transformation is that of Guy Mason. Guy appeared in our God vs. the World series in an episode where we talked about the objection of church hypocrisy. Guy is presently pastor of City on a Hill, a large church in Melbourne, but he grew up never going to church at all. What changed? Well, hear his story now. Well, welcome, Guy. It's great that you can join us here today. It's good to be here. Uh, now, today we're thinking about the church, but you didn't grow up going to the church, did you? No, that's right. Tell, mo- us, tell us what happened. Yeah, most of my life I never went to church, never uh, talked about God or believed in God. To be honest, uh, Jesus was nothing but a swear word to mm-hmm. me and uh, most of the members in my family. So, uh, But I think like most Australians, um, uh, was gripped by the bigger questions of life, like the ones that you were seeking to, to explore. And I think I'd experienced some of the goodness of life. You know, Australia is a great culture to be part of, good sport, good, good music, good friends, uh, all those things. But I'd also experienced some of the, the garbage of life as well. And when you kind of, um, you know, bring those two worlds together, you, you have to begin searching and wondering and, and looking up and asking why. Um, and so when I was about uh, 14, 15 years of age. It was actually through a friend. Uh, I was given uh, a Bible. Yep. Uh, I considered myself a bit of a songwriter at the time and thought there might be some cool lyrics in there. Yep. And so uh, one night I opened it up and uh, I was captivated by um, this person, Jesus. Um, Did you he- find any lyrics? Uh, no. Oh, well, yes and no. But, <laughs> but more importantly, uh, just you know, um, drawn to him and his, uh, his courage, um, his conviction to speak truth, not only historical truth, truth but experiential truth it Mm -hmm. was making sense of the world that i was seeing both the goodness of the world but also the garbage as well uh his conviction to to challenge religious hypocrisy which i'm sure we'll talk about a bit later uh, and then to suffer and die for me Uh, i knew i was uh, running my own race i knew what sin was i lived it um to think that jesus would die for my sin was radically transforming to me and so i i was really kind of um, committed to two things at that point, and that was to know more about this Jesus and, and to want to make this Jesus known. Mm. And I suppose that's led your life since that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've continued to want to be on a journey uh, to know more about Jesus. You know, the Bible's like the ocean and takes a minute to dive in, but a lifetime to explore. Um, but equally, I, I'm passionate about helping other people come to know who Jesus really is. I think there are a lot of perceptions out there of who God is and what the Bible's about. Uh, I certainly had misguided understanding of who God was. I know my family did as well. And so um, I wanted other people to see him. I still do. Um, Hence, I suppose being a pastor of a church is a good place to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So that's all we have time for today. Six powerful and inspiring stories of transformation. We hope you've enjoyed the best of Logos Live. Logos Live is recorded before a live audience in the CBD of Melbourne over lunchtime every second Wednesday. You can be part of the audience. Just check out citybibleforum.org slash Melbourne for the recording schedule. You're welcome to turn up or continue to tune in whenever Logos Live is broadcast or podcast. I look forward to you joining us next time for Logos Live. Logos Live.